grab your Bible, and uh, we're going to read from um, 1 Peter. So if you've got your Bible, turn to 1 Peter, and this is, uh, without doubt, uh, this is my favorite passage in the Bible that talks about the church, talks about uh, the people of God. Uh, I I love uh, the poetic nature of this, and uh, so hopefully you can hear it as we read. Um, It says this, you are coming to Christ. How many people thought you were coming to church? You weren't. You're coming to Christ. Uh, And Christ is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones. You are. You are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. Who's building you in? Uh, Is the leadership building you in? Is your e-group leader building you in? Uh, Are you building yourself in? No. Uh, God himself is building you into his spiritual temple. Uh, It's a a structure that God fits you in. As a living person, he fits you into a structure of relationships. He wants this whole structure of relationships built to be a place where he is glorified and he is worshipped. Don't you like that picture? A spiritual temple. What's more, you are his whole Holy priests. Everyone say priests. Everyone say holy. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ. That means that because Jesus comes into the middle between humanity and God, because of Jesus' position in the middle, we become these holy priests. And we offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. We don't just sing songs. We don't get on the bus and go to work. Uh, We're not just doing our jobs. We're not just sitting exams. We're not just cutting hair. We're not just plumbing plums. Is is that what you do, eh? Plumbing? That's what plumbers do? I don't know what you do with the plum. You just pick the plum, put it in a jar, that sort of thing. Uh, That's not what we're doing. We're not just stocking shelves and signing off consignments and unloading trucks. We're offering spiritual sacrifices that please God. Everything about our life is spiritual because we are holy priests, because we've been called out by the mediation of Christ. That's who we are. As the Scriptures say, I'm placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor. That's Jesus. And anyone who trusts in Him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust in Him recognize the honor God has given Him, but those who reject Him, that stone that the builders rejected now becomes the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble. That's Jesus. And he's a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word and they meet the fate that was planned for them. One of the scary parts of the Bible, right? But you are not like that. You're not the people who meet the fate planned for you. You're not the people who stumble and fall. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, we can show others the goodness of God, for He called us out of darkness and into His wonderful light. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank You for your, the Scriptures that You've delivered to us. Lord, we thank You, God, for Your voice to us, Your voice in Scripture, Your, your voice by Your Spirit to us, Your conscience you place within us. We thank You, God, for the good friends you placed around us. And Lord, I pray that as You speak to us tonight, Holy Spirit, that we'd be transformed from glory to glory, just by the Spirit of God. We'd be moved from where we are into a a greater revelation, a greater understanding of Jesus, a greater practice of living. We pray it in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said? 
Amen. There's five things I want to talk about from this passage of the Bible that I want us to, I want you to think about. I want you to write some notes down tonight uh, and maybe even make the decision right now uh, that on uh, at some time this week, once this message and this morning's message, when they appear on the uh, SoundCloud app slash the Equipus Church app, when they appear in the little sermons part of the app, that you'll take some time to listen to this again. Because I think these are five things that we need to begin to build into our life. Do you like the picture of building? Do you know the thing about building is interesting. Have you ever tried to build something quickly? There's parts of the world you can travel to and you can see things that were built quickly. Right? Uh, think about uh, various suburbs in all of the major cities in New Zealand and that there was houses that were built quickly. I'm thinking particularly of East Auckland. Uh, it was built very, very quickly. And it loses a certain ambience, especially once you have to go through and cover half the homes in plastic while you fix all the leaks. Right? Things that get built quickly are never quite what they could be. And when the, thing, the whole thing about building is it takes a whole lot of time. I heard this great saying about life, and I reckon it's interesting. I reckon it's a good challenge. As Mike Davey has said it to me a while ago, and I've probably used it five times, Mike, uh, in various leadership settings, uh, that nine women can't make a baby in one month. Right? You can't, there's some things you can't speed up, right? There's no, there's no solution uh, to, yeah, we're going we're gonna to synergize and, and, and strategize. It doesn't matter. Actually, some things just take time. And God builds us into a spiritual house, and it takes time. It takes the journey of our life to actually become everything God's called us to be. If you get to live to be 80, I pray that you're still looking for more in God. Uh, if you're 25 and you think you know everything, the first thing you need to know is that you don't. Uh, there's actually stuff that God wants to do in your life that will expand you and move you forward. And so these five things I think we need to, con- to embrace, we need to get a hold of, and we need to understand these are five things that we need to be building into our life. They're never going to be five things that have been built. Do you get the story? It's like, it's like that house that Ian Atherton lived in on the side of the hill in Wellington that, that he started building in the 1970s. He passed away, I think, three years ago, and he was still extending it all the way down the hill. I had a, I, one of my associate teachers when I was at Teachers College, she was a friend of his, and she said that whenever you went to their place for a party, they used to have big dinner parties, and uh, they'd invite heaps of people, and you'd get there, and you, it wasn't until you got there, you realized why everyone was invited. There'd be a huge pile of blocks, like concrete blocks, up the top of the street, because it's like right on Candala there. Uh, and, and, and everyone who came to the party was expected to bring at least 10 blocks, uh, one by one, down the hill to where the building site was, and then the barbecue would start. <laughs> Do you know, I think that's what life's like. We just got to keep building it block by block. We got to we got to and have a party and get people to help. Uh, we got to build what God's doing, and we can't necessarily speed it up. He can, but we've got to go at His time. Amen. The first thing is this idea together. It's one of our heartbeats as a church that we're together. And the thing about together is that it, again, it doesn't happen overnight. You don't you don't build relationships like, hey, I met this person, and hey, we're the best of friends now. We're going to get married tomorrow, right? If they, if you come to me as the pastor, I'm not going to officiate at that wedding, right? Because I'm protecting my stats as a pastor. Uh, do you know what I mean? I want good averages by the end of my career, right? And that's a bad option, right? The person you met yesterday is not someone you can marry. It's someone that you might marry, right? But it's got to take some time. It's the same in a family, do you know? It takes time to build relationships. It takes time to be together. Have a look at Psalm 133. This is our 
our favorite scripture as equippers in terms of together. Uh, I love this. It says, and Maddie's going to put it up. It says, uh, isn't it? It's a terrible start, isn't it? A song for pilgrims ascending to Jerusalem. A psalm of David. How wonderful, how pleasant it is when brethren or brothers live together in harmony. Uh, in the Hebrew, that's chinema tovu. Anyhow, uh, for harmony is a precious uh, is the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head, and it ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion, and there the Lord has pronounced His blessing, which is life everlasting. Isn't it awesome? And the scripture actually says, this psalm actually says, Behold, as the old versions, behold how good and how pleasant it is when brethren or brothers, family, when family live together, it says dwell together in unity. But the word for together and the word for unity are the same word. So really it says, if you're literally translated in English, there's a blessing that comes from God when family chooses to be together together rather than just together. Because we're all here together, aren't we? Here we are together, right? But the question is, there's not a blessing just from all being in the same room. There's a blessing by being in the same room and on the same page. Uh, later on in the Bible, in Ephesians, it says we need to be of the of of we need to have a unity of spirit. How many people like a unity of spirit? See, when you go to watch a game of rugby, all of the fans say it's say it's an all black game in New Zealand. There's really only all black fans there because no one else has travelled across the world, right? So let's say, imagine there's a there's always two sets of fans. But say the all blacks are playing, all the all black fans and all the people watching on TV, we have a unity of spirit, don't we? We have, we all feel the same pride that the all blacks feel when the national anthem's performed. Uh, Lucia likes to stand next to the TV and and mouth along. Like an opera singer, you know, it's great. If you, you, know, you don't need a TV when you have a five-year-old to entertain. Uh, but we all feel the same unity of spirit when they play. We all, you know, uh, those of you who are into sports, whatever your sport is, when the, ball's, you know, when the ball's about to go out, when someone's about to score a try, we're all on the edge of our seats, right? That's a unity of spirit. But it's actually only the players on the field and the management and the team and the people who are working, they have a unity of faith, See, lots of churches build unity of spirit, and you know, a unity of spirit's easy. Do you know why? Because the Holy Spirit does it, right? Hey, we love to worship together. We like to sit. We like to eat morning tea together. There's a unity of spirit, right? But we're not, we're, as a church, we don't want to just be together with a unity of spirit. We want to be together, together, a unity of spirit and a unity of faith. That's what the miracle offering's about. It says, hey, we're going to believe together, and we're also going to give together. We're, we're not just going to, we're not just going to sit around together, we're gonna, and we're not just going to eat chips together. We're all going to put in for the chips, because there's not just a unity of eating chips. There's also a unity of paying for the hot chips. How many people know it's pretty easy to get into the environment and the excitement of eating the food, right? Pretty easy, right? Less easy to get people excited about paying for the food, right? Is that, am I right? Do you want, does that work the same way in your group of friends? Like it's easy to, it's easy, really easy to just excitedly put your hand in and grab some chips. You don't even think, right? You don't even think who paid for them. You're just like, yay, we've got chips, <laughs> right? But hey, let's build together, together. Do you know we want both? We don't want just a unity of faith. We don't want to just work hard together, right? We want to work hard together, but we also want to believe and and, and live together and enjoy each other's company as well and enjoy each other's spiritual life. Amen? Everyone say together. The second word is royal. 
Royal. Everyone say royal. Uh, a word much misused by uh, by Lord, but anyhow. <laughs> okay, I've got a really itchy eye. I'm just going to give it a good scratch. Is that all right? <laughs> awesome. I think I'm about to, Oh, now it's really sore now. First rule of itchy eyes, yeah, yeah. That's what your parents always said. Do you know that? Um, how many people? Uh, how many people have ever seen the Queen? Uh, my brother saw the Queen accidentally in London. He was walking along with a lot of people, didn't know what was going on. Uh, he's a big crowd, people on horses. Lady, old lady goes past in a car. <laughs> Found out later in the newspaper, must have been the Queen, right? Because there was a thing in the story where the Queen was going past. So he's probably not the most devoted royalist out there, right? But you know the Queen. I don't. I don't know. I don't know the Queen personally. I've not discussed this with her. But I don't know the Queen. She's been doing this seventy-five years. She's been the Queen. I don't think she wakes up in the morning and she's like, oh, "I've got to get my royal on." You know, and I don't think she sits in front of the mirror practicing that wave. Uh, she might do right. But I really don't think she does. I think she just is the queen. I don't think she has to be the queen. She's not like, okay, uh, Simon Tanay, I'm going to be the queen. Uh, you know, she doesn't like, like get my, I've got to get my hair right, my queen hair. Like, just whatever her hair is on that day, it's queen hair. However she chooses to wait. If she, The next time she's riding down the street, if she's got dreads and she's waving like this, that now this will be, as soon as she does this, that will be the new royal wave. If she, if she gets dreads right across England, hundreds of thousands of ladies are going to have to ditch the curly perm, the grey perm, and get the dreads, right? Because whatever the queen does is royal. She doesn't have to act it. And that's the reality of our identity in Christ, that we have an authority about our life where we set standard, where standards aren't set for us. No one tells the queen how to wave. The queen shows everyone else how queens wave. Right? No one tells the queen what we're having for dinner. The queen tells everyone else what we're having for dinner. And that's the same in your life. You can blame everybody else about how your life is and the mess that your internal life is. And I feel depressed and that's terrible. And I feel upset and I feel disappointed. And that can be all very, very true. Right? But you're the king of it. Right? The queen's not sitting in Buckingham Palace going, this place is a mess. What's going on? She just tells people, hey, let's clean this up. When you feel that space, come on, there's, you're the king of your world, right? Get the help you need to get over the situations that you're facing. Embrace Scripture. Uh, find out what a, uh, do a journey in God and find some solutions because you are the boss of the world that you're in. This is how the Apostle Paul put it in Ephesians 2.6. He says this, We'll have a look on the screen. Save me turning it up. For he raised us, that God raised us up from the dead. Oh, I feel terrible. It's Monday morning. I feel terrible. Well, okay, it's Monday morning. But actually, God has raised you up from the dead. That's when I responded to Jesus, when you respond to Jesus, if you've done it yet or if you're in the past or you're going to do it in the future, what happens on the inside of you is that death is destroyed and life becomes brand new inside of you. You're raised up to life in Jesus Christ, raised up with Him. And then it says this, and He seated us with Him in heavenly realms, in heavenly places, because we are united with Christ. Because we are united with Christ, we carry the authority that Christ has. We operate with His strength in our world. You don't have authority over all of Wellington City, but you have authority. I don't have authority over all of Wellington City, but I have authority over all of Jordan land. 
All of the invisible kingdom of Jordan, I have authority in it. I have authority in the thought life of kingdom, kingdom Jordan. I have authority in the actions of kingdom Jordan. I'm the king of it, right? And if the, if the king, kingdom Jordan, it's difficult when your name is an actual country. It gets confusing. I'm not the king of Jordan, right? I'm the king of Jordan land, which is an imaginary wonderland that I've created in my mind. One day you should visit, right? It's it's easy to get there. It's hard to leave, right? But in, come on, in in, in your world, come on, in your world, if, if if poverty is rife and there's, you know, there's criminals raging the streets, you are the person who's responsible for putting it right. You're the sheriff in town. Round up the bad guys, right? Oh, it's really hard. It is. It's really hard to round up the bad guys. It's much easier to deal with actual criminals in the real world than the bad guys who run around in your own head. Isn't it? Right? Come on, in your world, come on. You are, come on, we're working together, but we're also, we are royal. We're the king of our own world. We're the lord of our own space. Amen? So we're together, we're royal. And number three, we're holy. It's not who we want to be, it's who we are. So much of the Bible seems aspirational, but it's not. So much of it that seems aspirational is, in reality, is positional. If, if Christ, if God himself in Christ has made me righteous, if he has made me righteous so that when he sees me, I have right standing before him, that's what God has done. All I need to do is trust in God. That's what the scripture said. If I trust in him, I'll never be disgraced. Right? Who I am, I am holy. It's who I am. I'm royal and I am holy. Do I always behave perfectly? No. But in the sight of God, every aspect of my life is positioned under His righteousness. And if I remain in relationship with God, I remain in right connection with Him, then I'm always holy. I'm always righteous. God can speak to me about the things that need to be adjusted. If I respond to Him, then I maintain my relationship with God, and I am righteous, right? Is it easy? Is it straightforward? Does it happen overnight? It doesn't happen overnight, but it will happen, right? It's, but it's not something that we're aiming for. It's something that we're aiming to live from. It's not, a, it's, not a, it's not a uniform that we earn. It's a uniform we grow more and more comfortable in. Do you get it? Okay. What does it mean? Holy is not just pure. Holy doesn't just mean pure. It, do, it does mean pure, but there's two different words. One is holy and one is pure. So they're not the same thing exactly, are they? Right? Otherwise, there'd just be one word called poly. Right? But there's not. We've separated the word poly, and one is pure, one is holy, right? Holy means a, a really important distinction of the word holy that's not really any other thing is, is this whole idea of being set apart and sacred, when, when God calls us His holy people, we're in right relationship with Him, but we're also set apart. We're separated, is another way of thinking of it, and we're separated or set aside for special purpose. So, for instance, we talk about the tithe, that 10% of your income that comes in first. We call the tithe, the Bible calls the tithe holy, meaning it's, it's like ring-fenced in a budget. It's set aside for God, right? That's the same when they would do uh, animal sacrifice, an animal that had been selected for sacrifice. As soon as it was selected for the sacrifice, it now became a holy animal, right? It's still a sheep. It might still have poos on it, right? 
right? I'm just, I'm just assuming it's an animal, right? It hasn't stopped being an animal, right? But it's now set aside for a sacred purpose. That's who you are. You're still an animal, right? Some of you still got poos on you, but you've been set aside. Someone's like, no, 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 that was, that was Wednesday. That was when, no, you've been set aside. <laughs> sorry, sorry, you're, that wasn't a word of knowledge. But come on, you're still who you are, but you've now been set aside for a sacred purpose, right? This is Romans chapter 12, verse 1. This is in the uh, New Living Translation of the Bible. We'll throw it up. It says this, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies, that's your whole life, give your bodies to God because of all He's done for you. Let them, that's your body, be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. Ah, oh, I thought I just had to sing like this. I thought I had to pray in tongues. Like these are all good things to do, right? But the true way to worship Him was we set aside our life as a living sacrifice. Check it out in the message. This is one of my favorite little uh, transliterizations. So here's what I want you to do. With God helping you, because you can't do it by yourself, right? Take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life. Place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. I like that. I love taking my everyday walking around life, my eating, sleeping, standing up life. Right? There's nothing special about just wandering to work unless you understand that you've been set aside as a sacrifice for special purpose. Who's feeling holy? Just Alistair. Who else is feeling holy? Do you know it doesn't matter what you feel like? Does it? Because you might not feel holy, but the, I keep asking, hey, who's feeling holy? But it's not, that's not important. Who is holy? We are. We've been set aside by God for His special purpose. We read it at the start of the sermon, right? Number four, you should feel foreign. Not feel foreign. Doesn't matter what you feel like. You are foreign. You're foreigners. Anyone got an uncle from the islands? You know, most of the family came out, but one uncle stayed behind. Anyone got an uncle like that? Some of you just like nodding, and some of you laughing because your uncle from the islands is crazy, All right? Well, I grew up. I grew up. Did some of my growing up in Australia, but I was always a New Zealander. Like we had New Zealand stickers on everything, and people mocked us for our accents, even though I didn't learn to talk in New Zealand. I learned to talk in Australia, but I still had said six wrong and all that sort of stuff, right? But we used to always talk about New Zealand and home, and we used to talk about, um, uh, we used to watch the All Blacks on television, and we used to boo at the Wallabies, and uh, we used to, I used to tell my friends that at school, and you know, uh, it was awesome. It was great to be, it's, you know, but there's this other place that we're from. You, you're not from New Zealand. You're, you're not from Tokelau. You're not from, you're not from Pairua. No, you're not. You're from heaven. See, the Bible says this, that before the creation of the world, God died, Jesus died for our sins, which means we've always existed. We've always existed somewhere other than where we happen to arrive on earth. You happen to arrive in somebody's womb, right? We won't talk about how, but somebody's womb is where you arrived. Ask your mom how it happened, and she'll tell you all about how a, a, a fairy arrived and an aest, a, a bird flying, you know, anyhow. That's where you arrived, and that's where, come on, that's where God sent you. It's not where you happen to be. It's not just, it's not by accident. Acts chapter 17 says that from one nation of men, from, so from one man, God determined all the nations. God brought forth all the nations from Adam and Eve. 
And then it says that he determines their times and their seasons. So I want to tell you, I want to tell you this. I don't know everyone, the circumstances of all of your births, all the, let alone the conception, right? But I want to tell you this, God did. God knew exactly where and when and who. He knew exactly not just once, but for generation after generation, he planned it. From the beginning of the world, he decided at a certain time in history, we would need a Jordan Smith to arrive in Paraparaumu. That we would, I don't know why we need him here, but, right? There was a time in history, 1976, happens to be the perfect time for me to be born. And Paraparomu happened to be the perfect place. And Don and Jill Smith happened to be the perfect people that God had planned, right? Now, it doesn't look perfect, right? Because it's a world of sin that God sent us into. But God's plan includes the work of the enemy. Whatever's happened in your life from the moment you were conceived till now, you've got to understand that God's working all the way around it. He understands all the bugs in the system, and He's got a program that overrides them all. Whoever your parents are, wherever you're from, whatever the mess that your life has been, God has been at work, and you are a foreigner. You don't need to identify with all the things of this world. You need to identify principally with where you are from. I've got a friend who's the um, Deputy Ambassador for Canada, Deputy, Deputy High Commissioner for Canada. He's one of the other rugby dads. When he makes a phone call on his phone, it doesn't go through the New Zealand system, it goes straight to Canada. When he spends money on his credit card, it's not New Zealand money, it's Canadian money. If he's going to get fired, it's not someone in New Zealand who can fire him, it's someone in Canada. And here's the thing, he goes home in a week. He didn't decide that. Someone in Canada said, you're coming home. Nothing about his life is controlled by New Zealand. To the point, he can drive his car whatever speed he wants to, and the police cannot arrest him. They cannot put him in prison because he's not subject to New Zealand law because he's an ambassador. He operates under a diplomatic immunity. You didn't know this? The cars that have DC number plates, why do they have a DC number plate? Please don't bother pulling them over because there's nothing you can do. It's their responsibility to represent their, listen, their responsibility to represent where they're from. That's why they never need to pull over a DC number plate because let's face it, if you get in trouble and you're supposed to be representing the whole country, there's nothing the New Zealand police can do to you that is worse than what the, your actual bosses will do to you, Right? Come on, that's, the, that's how we live. Hebrews, Hebrews 11, 16 says that we're not looking for another place to go to on earth. We're remembering a heavenly homeland. We're remembering this kingdom of God that we're from that is somehow inside of us. And that's why we responded to Jesus when we responded. Why did Luca respond to Jesus in the opera house, was it? Was it here? Opera house, two years ago when Reggie spoke for what? He Reggie spoke for 20 minutes, played a saxophone. Is that, can you explain the whole gospel in 20 minutes? No, but you can speak the accent of heaven that resonates and suddenly Luca recognized, there's my uncle from the islands. This is who I am. This guy's speaking with an accent that's somehow deep inside of me, an ancient memory in me. We've got to remember that's who we are. That's why when you get made redundant, you don't need to fall apart. You don't need, it's going to hurt, it's going to be difficult, right? But I've got friends who get made redundant, and it's really, really difficult, it's really, but they can understand that, no, come on, God's got a plan, I've got, I've got another assignment, God's got a plan for me, Where's, come on, what else has gone wrong in your life? Did it happen here? 
Or did something go wrong in heaven? I want to tell you this. God's in heaven and nothing's gone wrong. He's got it all under control. Oh, you don't understand, Jordan. It's all a big shambles. It's all a crazy mess. I've got all this debt. I've lost my job. My boyfriend's a loser. Come on. He was a loser when you started going out with him. Right? Okay? Come on. God's got it all under control because we're not from here. We don't live under these laws. We live under the rules and the laws of heaven. Amen? So number four, we need to be foreign. Everyone say foreign. Very, very good. And number five, we need to be aware. So we're together, we're royal, we're holy, we're foreign, we're aware. Um, do you know the greatest, the greatest sports people are the people who can be aware of what's going on around them? I, I was just, uh, you know, they had the hip-hop nationals here. Uh, you know, it's also been a big hip-hop group. Um, you, there's always great dancers, and then there's someone like me as well. <laughs> you know? Have you ever seen someone, they're dancing? Have you seen, like, in the dance and... This is, this is, look at that example of a dance. Right? There's always someone like me who is trying to look at the audience, but they, but they also have to keep a very close eye on what the other people are doing. Right? Oh, this, oh we do it like this. We do it like that. Right? That's not a great dancer. They might be, get there in the end. But a great dancer is someone who, can, who knows the dance and can focus on the audience. Right? And they know their part so well. They're, they're aware of what's happening with the other dancers, but their real awareness, their real attention is towards the audience where they're trying to communicate, right? right? And they're not just doing their own thing. They're still doing the dance and working with everyone else on the team. But they've, they've got it down in a way. They know their thing. They know their dance in such a way that they can focus their attention and communicate with the audience, right? The same example is if you're playing the guitar, if you don't know the chords, you have to look down at your hands. This is an example that John did for me. I asked him to do it earlier on during the songs, right? But it's amazing. Once you've learned the song, you can then focus out on the audience, right? Same, same, when, you're, same when you're driving your car. When you're driving the car, right? Where should you be looking? You should be looking out. The, the, there's the wide TV thing at the front where all the people are moving. They're actually real people, so don't run into them, right? It's not Forza. Right? Your eyes should be on the windscreen, right? When you're learning to drive, where are your eyes? They're on the foot pedal, they're on that gear stick. When I'm playing Halo, the boys laugh their heads off when they get to shoot me. Their the favorite time is when they shoot me while I'm looking at my feet. <laughs> because I'm looking at the wrong square, the wrong screen. And so there's one guy who's just like, don't laugh at me, Shane. <laughs> Here, we've got to be aware. Come on, we've got to be aware. So there's an actual audience to your life. There is an actual audience to your life. Just take it down a step, all you egotists. You're not the star of the show. You're one of the dance troupe. Jesus is like the star of the show. And we're, some of you are like backing singers. You're doing this. Right? But most of us are in this giant dance troupe. Right? Somewhat anonymous, but very important. But so, so often we forget the audience. We're focused on each other. We're focused on our own dance. We're focused on our own life. We're focused on the fact that our foot's sore from dancing all day. And Jesus is trying to say something to the whole world. That's what the Scripture says, that he can point to us to show, what are we supposed to be showing? What are we supposed to be communicating? This, this is going to shock you when I tell you what we're supposed to be communicating. Think about all of the... Christian websites and blogs in the world. 
Think about Christian television. Think about Christian music. Think about Christian preachers. Think about you as a Christian. What we're supposed to be communicating, this is it. The goodness of God. Okay, how does that fit into a rally where we have a sign that says, Jesus hates homos? Right? Now, is it true or not? Well, we could debate that forever, but it's not the song we're singing. Whether that might be this, that might be the song for the very end of the world in the lake of fire that the song might change, right? We'll all find out then, right? Who Jesus really hates, right? Up until now, there's one song we sing. It's the goodness of God. Your life is on display all of the time to show the goodness of God. And then you're thinking, well, why doesn't God engineer the circumstances of my life so they're always perfect? Because that would just show the luckiness of rich people. God doesn't care about the luckiness of rich people, which is mostly what Christians call the blessing of God. It's mostly luckiness of white rich people, right? Not, it's not that impressive to anybody. Wow, look, I'm a lucky right, white rich person. I'm blessed by God. No, I'm blessed by God because he's helping me in my eternal world. The fact that I live in Karori is based upon, it's based upon the fact that my ancestors came to Southland they stripped the forest bare and burnt all the rainforest. They tore out the tree trunks, planted grass, and grew cows. That's why I have money now. That's one of the main reasons. Right? Some people's ancestors lived in a desert in Africa. They can still be just as blessed by God. Right? But the goodness of God is not displayed in the house you live in, the clothes you wear. It's displayed in the, the way you approach life and the, the presence that you carry. How many, people, how many of you have ever seen people dance and you just think, wow, that person's an amazing dancer? You don't know anything about dance, Alistair, but you can still know, you, but everyone knows about amazing dance. If you ever hear, if you hear someone sing, I don't, I don't know anything about singing, but when someone sings amazing, it might not be what the judges call amazing, but there's something amazing going on when that person sings. There's something amazing about some people when the way they get on the bus. People can, some people can get on the bus and change the atmosphere of the bus. Right? Some people can do that. I've seen people come into the petrol station and people are all lined up and someone's come to the petrol station and there's something about them that says something to the world around them. They might not be Christians or whatever. That's not what I'm talking about. But there should be something about us that says something to everyone else around us that says the goodness of God. Now, maybe that's not what your life's like, but from now onwards, it can be better because at least you know what song you're trying to sing. At least you know what dance moves we're trying to dance. We're supposed to be revealing to the world around us the goodness of God. That's not about covering up and pretending that we're perfect Christians. That doesn't reveal the goodness of God. That reveals the hypocrisy of the losers, right? That reveals the stupidity of people who are trying to pretend to be something that they're not. We don't need more people doing that, right? But the goodness of God is about being honest and open with people around us and allowing God to shine through us when the moment arrives. We don't have to dance all the time. Sometimes we're just at the back counting, keeping in time. But every now and then someone asks us a question and we can throw out some moves. Then we can go back, count in time, right? It's not all about, you know, there's moments when someone asks a question or, or, or when something goes wrong. Actually, it's our best moment to dance well. When there's pressure at work, when, you know, when you just got fired, when you just failed the exam, how are you going to deal with it? In a real way, but in a way that says God's good. Amen? So we're together. Who's together? We're royal. We are holy. We are foreign. We are the uncle from the islands. 
we don't really know how things work on earth. We're here from heaven, right? We're not, we're not tied into what's going on here. We've got lots of land and lots of wealth in another place. That's why we can lose land and spend money here for the plans and the purpose of God with frivolous ease, right? Because we know that God's got money stored, right, in heaven for us, right? We're foreign and we're aware. We're not dancing awkward. We're not dancing white. We are aware of the world around us. That's a, that's a shameful, shameful truth. I mean, generalization. All right, do you close your eyes and bow your heads. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're here. And God, we thank you that you're calling us. We're the called. We're the people that you've called. You've called to us. You shouted to us. And you called us out of nothing and out of darkness and out of emptiness. And you called us out of that space of nothing and nothing. And you brought us into a place of light and glory, your glorious light. Lord, we thank you that not just you, but we also, we are that light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, a lamp on a stand, Lord God, that you're wanting to shine through us and reveal the colors of your love, the colors of your presence, the wonder of who you are. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us individually to speak to us tonight. Where are those things that we can sharpen up, Lord God? Where can we draw together? Lord God, where are we pulling apart when we can pull together? Uh, Lord God, where are we, where are we operating, Lord, uh, without that, that royalty, without authority? Where have we given away authority in our life where we can bring it back? Lord Jesus, those, those, where, are we, where are we treating life as ordinary and dumb and where it should be sacred and holy? Lord, speak to us about those moments where we're completely unaware of the stage that we're on and the story that you're trying to tell. Lord, we pray you be with us in everything that we're doing. Just if you're here and you've, maybe you're here and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. Maybe you come to church a lot. Maybe it's the first time you've been in a church environment. But if you've never made a decision to acknowledge Jesus as your Savior, you're missing out on the central reality of human existence. The God so loves, the creator of the universe so loves human humanity. He so loves you that He Himself would come in a human form and live fully human and fully God and die in your place so that if you believe in Him, if you trust in Him, it means that you get to live forever. You live beyond the mortal sphere of time and space. You live forever in the reality that God's called you to. And it's that eternity that makes you ask questions about what the world's like. It's, it's, that, it's the reality of eternity that, that draws you to look at the stars. It makes you wonder about what life's really about. And I want to tell you tonight that the first step to understanding life, the first step to becoming what God intended it to be is to acknowledge Jesus, to recognize what He's done for you, and to choose to follow Him. So if you're here and you've never made that decision before, I'd love to to pray with you. I don't want to embarrass you, but right where you're sitting, while everyone else has got their heads bowed and eyes closed, let's pray together. I'll lead you in a prayer. We'll all pray together. But if you've never made that decision before, why don't you lift your hand and say, yeah, that's me. I want to make that decision tonight to acknowledge Jesus, to begin a journey following Him, begin a journey becoming like Him, begin a journey to become everything that God's called me to be. If that's you, shoot your hand up. When I see it, you can put it back down, and then we're going to pray.